data is still not that cool to a lot of people. Hopefully, <laughs> I make it a little bit cooler. That is my goal. The following podcast is an American Influencer Council production. Welcome to Creators with Influence, a podcast on the intersection between the creator economy and digital culture, where entrepreneurs come to share empowered stories. Kiana Smith-Brunito is a creator advocate, champion of lifelong learning, and movement maker. Karsten Tannis, known as Skinny Was Here, is a solopreneur, internationally recognized multimedia creator, and a promoter of creative inclusivity. Together, Together they, they are, are your hosts. hosts. This is Creators with Influence, and we have Brian Shu, who is a San Francisco-based data scientist and one of my favorite TikTokers. He is changing the game and making data science a little bit more digestible and snackable. And he is also at LinkedIn, where he is transforming numbers he is helping people, members of media, policymakers understand the workforce and economy. Currently, he's telling stories about how companies and employees are rethinking how and where and why we work as the labor market emerges from the pandemic. So exciting. I don't know if you follow him on TikTok, but you know, some of his videos, one of my favorites is how much does a, a mansion cost and misleading numbers. I was so fun. Um, really excited to bring him on today. Yeah, no, it's super awesome. I'm definitely looking forward to speaking with you and just hearing more about how you even got into this process and sharing all of the knowledge, but also just disrupting the space on many levels. So thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. So Brian began creating TikTok videos on data science and Chinese jokes during quarantine. His TikTok has over 1 million followers and his content has received over 30 million likes. And so he's a Stanford graduate. Tell us when you realized that data science was, you know, your passion. Let's see. So uh, I started my first job out of college was actually in sales. I did a sales rotation program. And so I did a little bit of recruiting, um, did a little bit of customer service. But then at the time, I realized I liked some of the data stuff that was going on at LinkedIn as well. Um, and so I learned a lot of the coding languages outside of work, uh, started working on some projects and eventually transitioned to data science after that. And Data science on the surface sounds real nerdy, but honestly, it is just a practice of telling stories just with numbers. Um, and so that actually translates really well for TikTok because that's what TikToks are. They're just trying to tell stories in a very short amount of time. Uh, sometimes that's tough for data because you want to explain more things. Um, but um, somehow during pandemic, I was bored enough to start doing that on the internet. I love it. And, you know, your videos, you know, really make it fun. And you have such a, a viral nature to the content that you're producing. I would love to get into just, you know, wearing a content hat and 
um, making data fun in terms of getting creators to understand the importance of analytics. You know, that's something that we really champion at the American Influencer Council because it can help, you know, transform your business if you understand, you know, how your analytics are, are moving content. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, helping um, people, making it more friendly because that's what you're, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. The analytics tell you the true picture of what is going on and how people are engaging with your content. And so sometimes this can be the hardest part as a content creator in that you think you have a good idea or you have something that you want to share with the world, but sometimes people just don't really care as much as you think (laughs) they should. And I think this is true a lot of the case because we're kind of like closed-minded sometimes and like pretty like introspective of like what is personally interested, interesting to us but not necessarily what the social media finds interesting. And so the analytics is a really important piece of that because if something just is engaged with better and more positively, that just means other people tend to like it more. And even if that's something that you don't think is personally as engaging to you, then that's just what the mess, what the market is telling you in terms of like what people are engaging and what people are interested in. And so Definitely sometimes I've like, oh, I've thought about this idea for months. This is going to be really good. I think it's super funny. And then nobody thinks it's funny. And the numbers will tell (laughs) you that nobody thinks it's funny sometimes. And that's okay. But then it's about being able to move on from that and doing more of what people like. Um, But then also like if there are certain things you really enjoy sharing or like things that are very personal to you, you can still share that. And if it doesn't get that much engagement, it's fine because Creating content is not necessarily all about engagement. It's also about expressing yourself. And then a question for you is, um, if you can just tell me like your journey, you know, because for me personally, um, you know, no matter where my career takes me, my mom is always like, hey, you know, there's this like cool data entry job over at the hospital or something. And it never sounds like a cool idea, but somehow you've made this like a very cool and interesting um, I want to say a business as well, right? Because I'm sure there are opportunities that come in from this. But um, what was um, some of the major ways that you were able to just kind of uh, implement what you've done and influence, um, you know, like a new generation of of creators? Yeah, I just want to... Data is still not that cool to a lot of people. Hopefully, (laughs) I make it a little bit cooler. That is my goal. but like, there's some parts of the data type jobs that aren't very cool and aren't very fun. And this is like with a lot of other parts of many jobs and that like the day-to-day might not be fun for some people and it doesn't have to be. Um, but I think what is really cool about data is that it tries to quantify actually what is happening in the world. And especially now as, for example, there's so much misleading information out there. We're, I mean, we're talking right now as people are going back to school and parents are freaking out about masks and vaccines and there's a whole debate going on in the country right now. Um, But data tries to provide an explanation of what is going on in the world. And I think that's kind of hard to establish right now. And so as long as people agree on the, for example, the methodology of how the data was collected and analyzed, then it should tell you some true state of the world. And so partly with my videos and just being able to back up things. And sometimes they're really absurd things like what kids say 
and just like telling the data behind what they're saying. Sometimes it's really absurd, clearly a joke, but just, just being able to do the research and back up what you're saying, I think is hopefully a quality that is more normalized in that if you're having a talk with somebody about maybe something more controversial, it just doesn't come what, from what Uncle Bobby tells you, but you've actually like done a little bit of searching and determined for yourself what sources make sense to you and like what do you think is true about the world. Like what you have is almost like a superpower of just like, you know, like facts and, and number crunching. Like how often do you find yourself in situations where you're fighting the urge to correct, you know, things that you might hear as you're passing by? I think certain things I've also realized people will just believe what they want to believe no matter what. And um, there's all, you can go down a really deep, dark hole in terms of people saying, oh, this is not true. And then you saying, well, people have done some work and they show that it seems to be true. Um, and then they can always try to poke more holes and you can go down deeper in, in getting into the rabbit holes. That's what ha happens in the comment sections of my videos sometimes. Um, one, a uh, video I made was about the gender pay gap and how um, it was uh, how men uh, get paid more than women's uh, sometimes for similar jobs um, controlled for like occupation and time work and things like that. Um, the debate, there was one comment there that was like hundreds of comments long in the thread, but sometimes that is not um, productive to engage in if people are just there to comment and to stir reaction than from people 100%. who are there to actually learn. So sometimes people aren't there to learn. And so when people learn, they'll at, want to learn, they'll ask, and then you can present them with the best data and like findings that you know. Um, and so that's how I usually go about it. So it's not worth me trying to correct everybody. Um, sometimes it's, yeah, I'm just here correcting stupid stuff on the internet that like doesn't really matter. But like for other things, I'll just prevent present like, the most thorough work I can about what I believe to be true based on the research out there. If I'm wrong, I love it. I love it when actually people correct me. People don't really correct me on TikTok, which I'm like, they try to, but like sometimes I don't really feel like the arguments are super solid. Um, but you know, um, I'm, I'm always open to people correcting me because then I get to learn a little bit more and like be better about how it's wrong um, in presenting the data I'm presenting. Do you feel the surge in the creator economy startups is strengthening your entrepreneurial mindset? Hmm, that's a good question. There's definitely a big emphasis on creator economy. Um, I think entrepreneurial mindset, I think of a lot of creators trying to establish themselves and monetize and like develop a business. Um, for me, that hasn't big, been as much of a focus for me. I think for my content right now, I'm thinking about to um, entertain and to inform. Um, and so for me, the goal of like having a business and like being able to dedicate more time to it is um, kind of secondary to those things currently, because um, I still have my nine to five job as a data scientist. That's a lot more work. Um, <laughs> but also I think once you start having it to be your business, uh, it can be a lot of burnout. It can be a lot of stress too, uh, because creators always have to constantly think of what's the next good idea, what is going to get engagement. Um, and if their numbers are falling, sometimes it's not your fault, um, then it feels really stressful. And I've like 
at the start of doing these videos, I started to feel that burden a little bit. Um, but I think for me, it's better for my mental health to have that kind of like as a secondary concern. But I, I'm really for uh, creators to like know their worth and like know how much, uh, how, how much valuable, how, val how much value they can have, for example, doing promo deals and brand deals and stuff like that. So just a quick question too about like, you know, different platforms and such, because I feel like there are tons of underutilized platforms. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your work over at LinkedIn and, and how creators can also use that to uh, uplift their, um, the creator economy? Yeah, so LinkedIn is um, a professional network. Um, a lot of people get jobs on LinkedIn, apply to jobs. Um, but a big component of it is also yes. being able to post and also share kind of your brand. And a lot of people have made careers out of um, posting and helping people on LinkedIn um, because it is a direct linkage to people's welfare because like your job is a fundamental source of income. And so being able to kind of like share your thoughts or your expertise on your job in a setting um, is like very important. And so on LinkedIn, we get very interesting conversations um, in terms of experts in their jobs talking to each other um, about sure. their areas of expertise in a more controlled environment sometimes than um, some like of the anonymous social medias. Um, and so people are actually able to learn and share a lot of knowledge on there. And I think it's, it's an incredibly valuable asset to have um, because people are there on the platform to learn more about what's happening with their job, their, their area or field of expertise. I'm always encouraging creators to get on LinkedIn and I, I think it's you know it's is a it's a platform that a lot of creators under uh, utilize and it's the largest professional networking uh, social platform that we have and the last time I pulled the numbers I think there were over 800 million um professionals on linkedin you have to correct me i'm sure that and during covid conditions linkedin had incredible monthly active user uh growth yeah definitely there's a lot of that's this is the basis of my job in being able to take <laughs> all take the data that linkedin members um uh share about the economy um because with that we know for example um what type of jobs are really popular right now? Um, which type of industries are hiring? How are we bouncing back from the pandemic? And how are people moving around during the pandemic? And so these are all things that we're able to share with people about to try to get ha help them advance their careers and learn more about what's going on in the economy. And you have some amazing global influencers like Sir Richard Branson is on LinkedIn and a lot of in, uh, tremendous thought leaders. And that's what I love about LinkedIn is the opportunity to network with so many different professionals outside of your own subject matter expertise. I try to connect with different, you know, leaders in different C-suites who, you know, outside of influencer marketing because it's just good to build a network of of different people who have subject matter expertise outside of your own. Yeah, and you never know who may be able to help you or who you may be able to help if that person that you met at that conference that one time um, pops up when you're trying to look for a job at the company that they happen to work at, uh, then you can reach out to them again. And 
uh, ask them about kind of their company and the perhaps job openings that are available. And I think the network is just a very open network in terms of being able to help each other and like help people get to where they want to be in their careers. You found a, a unique niche with Laurent's Are You Smart videos and stitching those together. Uh, when did you discover his channel and, you know, how did you apply that treatment and figure out, you know, that was a, a, a great tactic to amplify different uh, ways to share data and information. That channel, uh, Laron and the kids, they've they're really really big so on TikTok. Cute. They're very very popular on TikTok. So I I would see all those videos all the time. Um, I'd seen other videos as well interacting with the kids, and so for me, um, it became fun for me to just be able to like look at the numbers behind some of the things they were saying and the implications behind that. Um, a lot of it was like just an exercise for me to look at the data and to be able to share out some facts there they probably most of them don't really matter that much um <laughs> but just like from the persona of some dude that just takes it way too serious um and so that became fun for me um i think the videos um you just have people arguing in the comments a lot people trying to prove me wrong um <laughs> there's just many ways to take the video some people are like oh this guy is so mean. It's just a kid. And I'm like, I'm literally talking about like some, what was, what was the video I did? I was talking about like quickening the, the passage of time or something in my last video. It was like super ridiculous. Or your Lamborghinis. He had a kid asking about the price of Lamborghinis or something, which is one of my favorites that you did. Yeah, the kid said he was going to buy a Lamborghini with $40. And I was yeah. like, no, you actually can't do that. I think uh, there, there's just an element of people, one, people being like interested in the video because like Thoron's content is great. And then yes. two, I think they get a jump scare with my big head pops up on the screen. And they're just like, well, who is this guy? And then at that point, when I start reading numbers, they're just like really confused. Um, but then some people have uh, taken a liking to it. And so like, I think some people enjoy it. I've definitely got some like people that get annoyed by it, but that's what happens with all sorts of content as well. Um, and so I've been just trying to take it lightly, even though the persona on there looks very serious, um, but nah, that's- Is that's that your it. sister who screams out, it's just a kid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that, yeah, that's my girlfriend in the background who screams okay. out, it's just a kid. So uh, I love gets, it. She gets, and people still think I'm really serious, even though I have someone in my video literally telling me it's just a kid. So, yeah. Oh, people, it's all, you gotta love internet trolls. <laughs> yeah. And then some people are just like joking about it now. So they'll just be like, they'll reply to themselves. They'll say, oh, it's just a kid. But then they'll be like, oh, he's obviously, and they'll just like do a thread of every, every single conversation that happens usually on my videos. You need to trademark it's just a kid because you have something there. <laughs> but I really like how uh, from Laurent's videos, the kids are very creative. I don't know if it's scripted or not, or the kids are just, you know, talking about that stuff off the dome. Um, but clearly he has like very cute kids. Also, another fun fact is I believe uh, Laurent and the kids are from Mississippi. And um, I'm actually from Mississippi as well. So I'm actually more wow. like... 
I'm more like the kids than a lot of people think. And I think maybe I'll reveal that in a further video. I think uh, people would be surprised by that because I think it's just a big contrast between like a kid and then me just popping up on the screen this like adult man uh, telling them about stats and things like that. Have you and Laurent, we have to connect you and Laurent. You guys need to do, you guys have to do something fun together. I'm going to make that a mission of mine. <laughs> okay. I, I'm definitely down to connect. I don't know if Laurent's annoyed by me, um, <laughs> but uh, would definitely be down to connect. Um, that would be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, Carson and I are going to make that happen. We got to get Brian and Laurent together for like a live stream or something fun. I kind of want the kids to tell me yeah. how I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> I think that would be great. I can just offer up something and the kids could tell me they're wrong and I'm, I'm totally down for it. Or give you some kind of like data science rapid fire question. Put you in the hot seat. <laughs> and then, yeah, and just have a kid tell me I'm wrong the whole time. That would, that would be great. I would have a lot of fun with that. I want to get a little bit into, you know, celebrating your your Chinese heritage and, you know, that's something you also do on your channels and we're big about, you know, DEI at the AIC and talk to us a little bit about owning space and making sure um, that you celebrate that part of your story. Yeah, so for me, um... I started making videos about like Chinese words and Chinese jokes just as a way to like hang out with my family. Um, uh, some of the first ones, I just broke down literal translations of Chinese words and just had my parents read off the words and TikTok loved my parents. And so that in itself just became a fun way for me to like hang out with my parents and learn more about um, Chinese words. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm Chinese-American, uh, born in New York, and then moved to the South, uh, where there's not that many Chinese people. And so I think it was a way for me to kind of, like, share more about Chinese language, Chinese jokes. And then the Chinese jokes came later as uh, my girlfriend and I started making up puns and hearing about puns um, in the Chinese language. And so um, branching off from that, I think it was a way to, like, connect with, like, my friends, family. Um, and being able to like create this content that it seemed like people enjoy. Some of it's very like, people like to cringe at some of the Chinese jokes one because they're just like really dad joke, but a really, <laughs> a really niche Chinese American dad joke. Um, but then because of that, <clears throat> because I was in the space of talking about like Chinese language, Chinese words, um, when um, a lot of the attacks, the anti-Asian attacks were happening early this year, um, I got to make some videos about that and also got to that also motivated me to talk to my parents more about that because I felt like a lot of the content that was out there were done by people like me, for example, who are Asian American, spoke perfect English and were able to kind of communicate my thoughts. And so for my parents, I really appreciated that time and getting to talk to them about how they felt about the situation um, from an older generation. And closer to the generation that these attacks were happening on, predominantly happening on. Um, and so I made a video about that as well, in which my mom directly got to talk about how she was feeling about the situation. And so I think I really like the videos because I get to share this part of myself. And also it helps me connect with my family better. 
And then how are you continuing to drive the conversation? Because I know it's been, um, you know, obviously as of recent, you've had like numerous incidents. And like you said, you're connecting the older generation and basically utilizing the platform of social media to help drive that awareness. But uh, what's something that you would want people to know and understand uh, about it? And also something that, um, or tell us, you know, the impacts and the implications of, um, you know, of the Asian hate and, and how you are working to change that as well. Yeah, I mean, the motivations in terms of what, what's been happening um, has been documented. Um, there's There's been a big increase of uh, hate crimes against Asians um, stemming from the pandemic. Um, this is correlated with a lot of like anti-Asian rhetoric that came out of it in terms of calling it like China virus and Kung flu and things like that. Um, and also other, uh, groups of Asian people getting looped into as well, because like, uh, I mean, I think it kind of shows in America how homogenous Asian people are to a lot of Americans. Um, and just not recognizing that a lot of people are from diff very, very different countries. And so then maybe the faults of one country get blamed on another country's people, um, it wouldn't quite make sense if like we're American and then some foreigner just starts blaming us for like Mexico's problems. Um, that's kind of the equivalent. We're bordering Mexico, but we're not Mexico. Um, and so I think that a lot of this has been building and like things I've seen all my life in terms of like conflating Asian people. Um, the Then like it was ripe to like find someone to blame or to scapegoat. And the people that were blamed were Americans that look Asian, uh, because a lot of the people that the I love how you just said that, yeah. because uh, at the end of the day, no one in, in, in America is responsible for COVID. So, you know, it, it just uh, it, at the end of the day, we're all Americans. Yeah. And yeah, even though like it was a pandemic and like everybody, the, the whole world, uh, the whole world has to face this issue. Um, and everybody was quarantining together, but, um, I think a lot of times, uh, Asian people seem to have gotten scapegoated during the pandemic and it manifested in a lot of, uh, attacks happening and also attacks happening on elderly people, which is like very, very unnecessary, um, in terms of like elderly people getting attacked and pushed over in the streets. I think just learning more about that, engaging more, a lot of the, uh, data I've done as well on previous videos has been researching kind of the history of Asian Americans in the United States, mm -hmm. um, just for me, myself, to learn more about why Asians are considered, quote, like the model minority. Um, and so just like learning more of the implications behind that and just like learning more about like my place here in America. We did a program, we launched a, a mentorship community called the Career Creator Club um, when all of this top Asian hate was happening just to bring unity within the creator community. And our first cohort are all AAPI creators and our Fortune 500 executive mentors are all also AAPI executives. And we did that, you know, just to bring people together um and to amplify stories because it's it's so important um when these things happen that 
other people who aren't experiencing it stand up and say, hey, this isn't right. Because I feel like, you know, other, you know, minority groups in the United States have been through this. And so I, I thought it was great that during this time, so many people stood up for um, Asians and uh, came together. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope the trend, I hope it continues. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I have high hopes. I have high hopes for the country. But I think oftentimes it, it, it has to feel like, uh, like probably the issues or like the stereotype of like Asians in America has been um, sort of quiet um, and sort of like not being in a voice or not getting that much attention for the issues that a lot of people in the community face. And so hopefully that changes. I want to just get into a little bit about um, how data science can improve your everyday life because big data is everywhere. And I always tell people that you don't realize that your smart refrigerator is packed with data or your, you know, your smart car, um, that data is driving a lot of uh, things that we use every day. Tell us a little bit about, you know, as digital citizens, how we can sort of, you know, maintain our privacy and also leverage data to accelerate our, our lives. Yeah, so everything is, a lot of things are becoming digitalized now. And so with digitalization, um, it's just collecting a lot more data everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, refrigerators and things like that. Um, I think it is just being able to be a little more data savvy on how like the metrics and uh, the numbers that you're seeing, um, being able to interpret what they mean. Some of them will be practical and applicable to your life. Some of them don't matter that much. Um, but just having a kind of good data hygiene about, for example, when you're presented with a stat, what does this mean? Could it be a little bit misleading or misinterpreted? Um, and then being able to um, like express it correctly because there are a lot of stats out there. And like that's, that comes at the root of mm -hmm. some of my TikTok videos. There are a lot of stats out there that are shared, but a little bit misleading. And so some of them grab a lot of headlines, but just realizing that, oh, this actually might not be the thing. Because like, for example, one example of this is um, increases off of very small percentages. Okay. So let's say that a company's like, we want to increase this type of minority employee by 2x over the next five years. But what happens if that company currently has 1% of that minority employee? That just means they're increasing it by 2%. And what happens if the company is 10 people? Then they're just hiring one more person. And so that pledge can, for example, be blown more out of proportion than the actual impact they're making. And so yes. just being able to understand, for example, a number like that, because oftentimes um, you'll see these big numbers out there and just being able to realize, okay, what is this? Is it actually significant? Did it make an impact? Because people will have incentives to make big numbers seem like more, whether for marketing or branding and things like that. Um, and so just be able to understand and process the numbers that are coming to you. I think that's a, a really important point because 
you know, when different brands or platforms release their numbers and, and certain things are left out, you know, it's I always, always challenging people to ask, why was it left out? Um, and to ask those those type of questions. There's a reason why people sometimes say, we'll double this instead of just saying, we'll increase it by one, um, which, which happens sometimes. So all of these numbers are technically correct, um, but sometimes isn't as impactful as it's made to seem. For those creators who might be scared of numbers, um, who need a little push, or, you know, when they hear data science, they might be like, oh, whoa, how do you encourage them, you know, to be proactive, to, you know, get informed, um, you know, about your world? Yeah, so for one thing, data scientists sometimes also don't really know what data science means. So it's like everybody's in the same boat there. Uh, <laughs> It's a really like fancy term that people throw out these days. Um, but I think this terminology was like pretty recent. It's a pretty recent field. And so a lot of it, it essentially boils down to using data to tell stories about what's happening with something. Um, and it's whatever data can best describe what's actually happening. And so a lot of it, I feel like, best work that comes out of data is kind of the simplest and easiest to understand. And so that influences a lot of the videos I create. Um, and just that, like, I'm saying a lot of numbers, but when you follow the math, some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't do all that math. And then I'll say in my video, I did addition, subtraction, and multiplication. A lot of it is pretty simple um, in terms of like things that people learn in school. And so just being able to explain it in those terms um, kind of gives you a little more oomph to whatever you're talking about. And then real quick, can you also tell us like more about your process on how you develop your videos and, you know, just even how you create them from the creator standpoint? Yeah. So from creator standpoint, um, it depends um, on what type of video I'm doing. I like to create like more um, longstanding series because then every video doesn't have to be like a net new idea with like, because on TikTok, there's so many facets to consider. You have like, how am I going to communicate the information? Is it a trend already? Am I going to use this sound? How am I going to put the text on the screen? And so for example, <laughs> with the misleading videos, like I have a format and so I can just find things to plug into that format. So for me, it's about been like creating the format, but also like as being a consumer and scrolling through and also like watching the videos that are coming through, getting inspired from other creators as well and being able to adapt that to like whatever I'm doing. Um, and then finally, in terms of uh, like using data and stuff like that, checking up on which videos did well, kind of the sentiment of the comments and like how people are interacting with it to get a sense of like what people like. And then like, just like adding a little more about what people like the next time I do it. And you also touched on something earlier. You talked about um, being happy that uh, TikTok and social media was like not your day job, but just so you can like maintain your sanity. So mental health is also something that we're currently just discussing in the space. And, you know, throughout 2020, we're also just having this conversation about uh, creator burnout. Can you talk to us some uh, about that? Like, do you experience that or is it something that um, 
you know, that, that happens often? I sometimes still do, but I remember when I was posting a lot, I would get anxiety about like not posting for a day because I think a lot of the content sometimes tells you like, oh, you need to post, you need to be consistent, you need to post every day. Um, but sometimes it's not, if you, if you force yourself to post more, sometimes the ideas just get worse or the contents just get worse because you're just trying to post more. And so me, for me, it was being okay with like, I don't have to post it today or I don't have to like sacrifice some of the things in my personal life just to like get this video out and like be okay with that. And that if I post tomorrow, it will be fine. Um, I think um, I was definitely like a lot more strict with myself in the beginning, but for a lot of it, it's, it's me like just being looser and being like being okay, like having it on my mind, like I would like to create a video today, but like if all the editing or something goes wrong, like it's okay. Nobody's dying if you don't <laughs> post your video. Nobody is dying. It's okay. It's not that serious. Yeah, which I always say, you know, we're what we do, we are very fortunate because anyone who can be creative and do that for a living, it, it, it's uh, you're very lucky. Um, but we're not doctors. We're not, you know, uh, in the saving lives. Um, so take a step back and, and remember that because I mean, creating this podcast, like you've had your, your own experience with creator burnout and yes. <laughs> without a, without a question as a data scientist, have you cracked the code to, uh, or have you cracked the algorithm of TikTok? Like, yes, do you have any secrets that's for the us? question. <laughs> that's the, like the final question we need a group of data scientists to come together what is that's all creators want to know what is the algorithm and how to how to how to be that instant influencer yeah i mean for example for charlie d'amelio it's um part of it's like just having good content that people want to watch i think um a lot of the big big content creators you'll see that their content can apply to like people, not just in the U S but like globally. And so that's, for example, um, uh, why like some of the joke videos, uh, there's that guy who doesn't talk that just like does this. Um, uh, he, his videos are just like, doesn't talk, but like everybody knows what he's doing dance videos. That's why they got popular on TikTok too. Or the guy who fries the egg cooking videos they're all pretty applicable like worldwide and so like it's a, it's a big global audience but also then like thinking about how you want to convey like your per personality and your skills um in terms of the algorithm from what it seems like to me the algorithm will go by the video metrics on how well it's doing how much people are watching it are they watching it multiple times um what types of people are you going are you getting to watch it uh, how much comments, likes, shares. I think a combination of all those things definitely help to boost a video. But this just means that it's just measuring what is good content. And so fundamentally, at the end of it, if you create good content that people want to see and engage with, that's what's going to get you, for example, eventually like the followers and things like that. Um, but also, I feel like it comes from just a genuine interest in um, either entertaining or educating people. Um, those are, I think from the top of my head, those are the two basic reasons why anybody creates any content. It's either to entertain or to educate. Um, and I think having 
like a passion to share that and express yourself through that um, really is kind of at the root of what creates good content because chasing followers, for example, that becomes a very slippery slope because, okay, Agreed. like what will you do for more followers? And we've seen there are creators who like do really mean or insensitive things that gets yes. a lot of engagement, but I don't know if that's the best thing for you, for example, for your brand, if like that's what you're willing to do for more followers. Um, and so I think it's about the people who kind of like really stay true to like what they enjoy doing and what they want to share out there on the internet. I love that. And just in closing, how can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, you don't need to find me. Uh, if you don't view my videos, your, your life will not be super negatively affected. But if you must, yes, they will. My, <laughs> my TikTok is at uh, BRI underscore XU. Um, it's the same thing for Instagram and Twitter and all these things. Um, but if people want to check it out, they can. If you don't, your life will be just as fine. I can assure it you. It might be more misleading if you uh, don't find oh, yeah, yeah. Ryan. Maybe more, maybe more misleading. <laughs> this was so fun. Thank you for joining us. And I know you're off on a trip. So a, a vacation camping, you said, or something, right? I don't oh, know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, currently, I'm currently in Seattle and going to visit a national park tomorrow. So yeah. Ooh, sick. Uh, which one are you going to visit? Uh, tomorrow, trying to go to Olympic a National Park. Awesome. Thank you, Brian, for we're late. We're tardy. <laughs> we kept you, you over. We talked too much. But we, we really enjoyed this conversation, and we hope our listeners did too. And uh, appreciate you making time. This is Creators with Influence, and this is Kiana. This is Karsten. Thank you guys so much. Brian, thank you, and enjoy your trip. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Creators with Influence is produced by the American Influencer Council, the sole 501c6 not-for-profit trade association in the U.S. created by and for career creators 